Thank you, Caden. But Thomas, that's how our text this morning begins, and that's kind of how I felt this week. But Thomas, again, Thomas, almost every year after Easter, a week or two later, this text is preached. We think we're done with the resurrection story, but Thomas, Marty and I have preached it three or so times for you, and I've struggled this week to find something new to say and to resist simply repeating an old sermon verbatim, because if I can't remember what I said before, will you? (laughs) I also thought about skipping this text completely, picking something else, something a little easier. After all, next week we start a new sermon series. We're calling it Making Room for All. That's the theme of our capital campaign. And you know what? Let's just delay this sermon a moment to plug our capital campaign. (laughs) For the last three years, we've been on this journey Uh, Last fall, our building planning team presented you with this plan for renovation of our church. They shared the three phases that you approved. They're uh, printed out in the uh, fellowship hall on the welcome table. We'll begin fundraising and taking pledges for phases one and two, and that all starts next Sunday. We're asking you to prayerfully consider giving to this campaign. That's above and beyond your normal giving because we need to keep being generous to keep things going in the meantime. But we, wanna, we believe that through gifts and pledges over the next three years, that we can easily fund phases one and two of this building project, which would add an elevator right over there, right kind of behind the Levermans in that corner, uh, in that hallway, which would open up this chancel. Can you imagine the chimers back here and not tripping over each other up front? That would improve lighting so that you can see what happens in this room. That would create a larger narthex so we don't bump into each other unwillingly in the hallway, as we often do, that would make handicap accessible bathrooms, that would uh, eventually, with phase three, expand the fellowship hall. That's why we call this making room for all, because that is literally what we will be doing. Making room. Making room up here for ministry that's already happen, happening. Making room for all young and old to be able to go downstairs and participate what is happening with what is happening down there or what could happen. Right now, if you have bad knees or new knees or you're in a wheelchair or just not very good on stairs, you can't go downstairs. A physically challenged, disabled child walked into our Dinky Disciples program, JYF, or Sunday school or youth group on Wednesday. We have to tell them, I'm sorry. Everything that we do is downstairs. We want to make room for all, for our whole church to sit around table together, for all to mingle and all that happens after worship and before worship in the narthex to happen without bumping into each other. Because all are welcome. So if all are welcome, we need room for all. So that's your plug for now. Get ready for the capital campaign, campaign, not campaigning, campaign. I think we'll even have fun in the process. But Thomas. Well, that's who we're talking about today. I'm trying to delay this, if you can't tell. Uh, but we need to say something new about Thomas this morning. And it's surprising, really, how little we know about this Thomas guy. I tried to learn a little more this week, flip through scripture, and he's not in there very much other than this story in John. And in fact, he's only mentioned his name mentioned one more time after the Gospel of John in Acts 1, and that's it. And yet, Thomas became a very popular 
character in later Christian writings and legends. There's a lot of stories out there about what happened to Doubting Thomas. The strongest tradition suggests that, that Thomas went off to India, what we call India today, and spread the gospel of Christ, started the church in India. There's still today a worshiping religious community that are called St. Thomas Christians in India. And they have roots back to the earliest centuries of the church, one of the oldest Christian traditions in the world. They have their own distinct customs and practices that kind of look like Christianity, that kind of look like Hinduism. And they are, have a deep reverence for this guy we call Thomas. Also in the Syrian church, one of the oldest Christian traditions in the world. And yes, that's Syria, the one we bombed a few days ago. There was a long tradition of devotion to Thomas the Apostle. And far from India and Syria, I even read about a group of Christians down in Paraguay, which is in South America, which claim that Thomas the Apostle actually went to South America and lived among the natives, shared the gospel, and even performed miracles among them. They testify to this today. And who knows, maybe Thomas did jump a boat from India, head to South America thousands of years before the Vikings or even Columbus. It's fun to imagine, but let's be honest, my sharing all this with you is nothing more than delay tactics. If I stall long enough, it'll be time for communion. But Thomas, what can we say about Thomas? And maybe I should just make a confession this morning. It's really not that I don't have anything fresh to say about Thomas. It's that, well, this guy kind of makes me uncomfortable. I want to avoid this text, but here it pops up like Thomas popping up all over the world in these stories. It pops up year after year, right after Easter. Try as we may, Thomas doesn't let us slip quietly by the resurrection. He makes us stop. He makes us dwell in the story for a few more moments and ask some hard questions about Jesus, about resurrection, maybe about ourselves. Because I remember on Easter Sunday in this room, we were filled up, overflowing. We sang with confidence, Christ the Lord is risen today, and you sang it like you meant it. No doubt, just believe. But now that the dust has settled, the snow has fallen again. Our Easter wardrobe is filed away, and the calendar has moved on with a capital campaign on the horizon. It's easy to move past Easter, and maybe, maybe that's why John gives us the story of Thomas. See, John's, unlike all the other gospel writers who do not mention this story, he writes later. He's the latest, probably the, one of the, the latest books in all of Scripture. He's the furthest away from the actual living historical Jesus. His church has already been kicked out of the synagogues, like the blind man that we read about in John 9, who was kicked out of the synagogue because he had the audacity to be healed by Jesus. They're figuring out faith. On the outside, what does it mean to be church in a new way, not necessarily a Jewish way, but this new way of being Christian? What does it mean? And this story they've been given, one that they did not witness with their own eyes, and yet one that an old man like John testifies to them about. They know some witnesses, but they weren't there themselves. What do they do? How do they base their life on this? Can they build a church? Can they build a resurrection revolution on the testimony of other people? It's a familiar question for us as well. Here we stand a lot further away from these stories than John's church. We have to believe what we have not seen. And Thomas, well, Thomas 
makes us a little uncomfortable. On one hand, we identify with him because we were not there. We were not in the room that Easter evening. We did not see his wounds. We have not seen the risen Christ. And to ask us to believe when we have not seen, that's a pretty tall order. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, Thomas says, unless I put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in, the, in his side, I will not believe. That's what Thomas says, and it makes sense. That's what I want to say sometimes. But then a week later, Thomas, well, he gets what he wants, well, almost. He gets what we could never be given. The skepticism of Thomas on Easter Sunday is met with his very own appearance of Jesus. And Jesus says to him, put your fingers, Thomas. Put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out. Put your hand in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And after receiving that rather strange invitation, what does Thomas do? Well, what we think he does is just that. He puts his finger into Jesus's wounds, his hands in his side. There's ancient uh, paintings of Thomas doing that very thing. One with his hand about knuckle deep in the side of Jesus. That's the picture we have in the story. But that's, well, that picture is not in the story. That's the part maybe we've added, made up, read between the lines. Imagine like Thomas on a boat to South America. Maybe it happened. Maybe he did prod the risen Christ as Jesus invites him to. But for some reason, the gospel never tells us that he actually doesn't. What it does say is Jesus offers the invitation and Thomas, seeing the wounds of Jesus, makes his declaration without any action. He says, my Lord and my God. Maybe I'm reading too much into this detail in the story. I was trying really hard to find a sermon this week. Maybe I'm avoiding a bigger, better sermon point. But, but, Thomas, but Thomas this year, well now two weeks from Easter, maybe he has a different message for us this year. As our country bombs yet another country, as news is filled with stories of porn stars and investigations and Firings and chemical weapons and nuclear arsenals as buses crash, as budgets are cut, as a young boy is still lost and people looking desperately for him. As we struggle to see good in the world, in the midst of all the wounds, all the wounded people, wounded spirits, wounded dreams, wounded ideals, maybe the gospel this year is asking us to just look at the wounds. Come and see the wounds, the wounds of Christ, the wounds of this world, the wounds of Christ for this world. We don't have to touch them to see how painful they are. Our world, well, our world is wounded. We are wounded. And maybe just maybe seeing the wounds, seeing our wounded world is more than enough for us to believe. My Lord and my God to believe that resurrection is possible because it must be possible, because we need it to be possible. We need hope. We need to believe that the wounds will be healed, that hope is rising and new life will spring from the ground in spite of the snow that may cover it, that this world, in this world, there is room for all and all are truly welcome. This year, maybe belief is simply another word for hope. 
To believe in resurrection is to hope with all of our being that these wounds are not all that there is. That resurrection is possible. Indeed, it is here. Amen.